Lord, we thank you for the word of God. Father, I just ask tonight you'd give clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit. Father, I just thank you that as we come, uh, Lord, that you give each person here ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to be doers of the word, not hear only. Renewing their mind. Being not conformed, but being transformed. Father, we just thank you that we're forever changed by your word. And Father, we thank you that it's forever established in heaven, and so are we if we fill ourselves with it. And we give you all the praise tonight. Bless this time in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. I'm going to grab this water back here. And, you know, as I, as I uh, was studying today, I, I had a, a different sermon ready. And uh, about 5 o'clock tonight, the Lord says, I want you to preach on something else. I guess I finally found out what he wanted me to preach on. Every once in a while, I just get something ready. I'm thinking I'm supposed to do it. And then the Lord kind of changes the direction. I don't know if that's because maybe somebody uh, is here or isn't here or what, but let's just, let's just uh, jump into it. And I'm, I'm going to just pick up a little bit from what we talked about the last two weeks. And of course, we talked about consecration. But tonight I'm going to be talking about Romans 12, 1 through 3. Let's read the text first that I'm going to go ahead and, and just uh, talk a little bit about last week and bring us up to speed from what we were studying last week. It says over there in Romans 12, 1 through 3, 12, 1 through 3, book in Romans, and it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Now, remember, we talked about consecration. We talked about being consecrated to God. Uh, a lot of young people don't even know what that word means, and we, we went into great detail defining what the word consecration means. Of course, we go back into Exodus, the 30th chapter, where they consecrated Aaron and all of his sons and all the utensils and the vessels in the tabernacle that were silver and gold and to be used in the holy services. And it means to be taken from that which is common to that which is sacred and holy and service to God. So as we look at that, uh, we see that that's what holiness means also. It means to be set aside, sanctified, dedicated, uh, put into... Uh, complete uh, separation from the world. And there's something very powerful about that. And it, in, the, in the dictionary, in the Webster Dictionary, it says, to the point of being venerated. Now, venerated is another word you don't hear very often. But venerated just means to be honored and to esteemed. And, of course, consecrate, a person's consecration is what needs to be venerated or honored and esteemed. It says, know them that labor among you says that over in Thessalonians, and esteem them highly in love for their works' sakes. We don't venerate, we don't honor, and we don't look and esteem highly and give deference, deference and honor to people on the basis of their giftedness, not on their talentedness, but on their character, integrity, and their consecration. And the difference between a cult and a church that honors their pastor is this. Cults honor based on personality and gifting, but churches honor their pastor on the basis of his consecration, integrity, and character. Can I get an amen? amen. And his walk with God and the call that he has before him. And so we've got to be careful because we want to have honor in the house, but we don't want to perverse it, perverse it into a personality cult or following a person because that is... Uh, not scriptural. So we talked about that, and that consecration is something that should be honored and looked up to and esteemed and recognized 
and venerated and held in high accord in, in our uh, consciousness today, but it isn't very much. So we talked about that for the last two weeks. But it says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And everybody, just say this next part with me. And be not conformed. Now that's part one. And we're going to talk about part two. And be not conformed to this world. And it was, don't let the world put you into its mold, one translation says. Be not conformed. That's the negative side. That's, that's the, what we're to not do. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. And be transformed. Now, that's the positive side of what we're going to talk about tonight. So, be not conformed, but be ye, or be uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may. You know, you can't prove the good, what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can't even do it until you have not conformed to this world. And really not being conformed to the world is really that consecration we've been talking about the last two weeks. You can't do God's will until you have a life that's not conformed to the world. You can't be conformed to this world and then minister to it. You can't be conformed to their evil ways and then say you're going to lead them in righteousness. You can't be conformed to this world and be a standout. You can't be conformed to this world and become a standard for it. You can't be conformed to this world and think anybody's going to follow you because of your exceptional, excellent, and holy and godly manner. So you can't be conformed, and you've got to be transformed because you can't just be any regular person. You have to have a transformation take place. And then you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Until you're transformed. There's a lot of people, Brother Hagin used to say, there's, there's ministers that live their entire life. Been to Bible college. Pastored churches for 30, 40 years. Have never really ever entered in the first phase of the ministry that God called them to. Because they've never given themselves holy. They've never consecrated themselves. They've never sanctified themselves. They've never really found the true will of God for their life. They've just coasted. And it's because you got to be not conformed. You got to be transformed. And then you may prove that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. See, it isn't just automatic. Just because you're called, there, there has to be divine ordination. There has to be divine consecration. There has to be divine qualification. It doesn't just happen because you think you're called. And you don't recognize your own calling. No man recognizes his own calling. Of course, Jezebel did. Jezebel called herself a prophetess. And she was the epitome of wickedness. But others have to recognize it as well as yourself. And stir up the gift that's in you, that was given to you by prophecy and the laying on of hands of the presbytery, it says in 1 Timothy 4.16. So we, we need to understand, number one, what it means to be not conformed. And last week we talked about consecration. We talked about the sons of Aaron and Aaron and the silver and the gold and the vessels in the temple. They were set aside in 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 20. It says, in a great house, there's many types of vessels. There's vessels of silver and gold. There's vessels of clay and wood. And it says, there are vessels to honor, and there are vessels that really aren't to honor. In other words, I don't know if it says dishonor, but it says some are to honor and some are not. And the way that you become a vessel of gold and silver, the way that you become a vessel of, gold, of, of honor, is you purge yourself. 
You flee from youthful lust, it says two verses down. It says you purge yourself that you might be meet or qualified for the master's use unto every good work. So we cannot, we have to be not conformed to this world. Part of being not conformed to this world is being consecrated. Being consecrated is being set aside, separated from the things of the world. And we talked about numerous things that we need to be separated from in the Bible last week. So being not conformed is really being separated. If the powers that conform people into worldliness are over here, and the forces of the devil, the world, and the flesh, and the influences and the peer pressures that cause us to be conformed and to be molded into the world's image are over here, we have to separate ourselves from that. Can I get an amen? We talked about the things that we got to be separated from. So, so when we read Romans 12 about being not conformed, and it talks about being holy, it's really talking about being consecrated. It's really talking about being consecrated. And so some of the things that we said that we need to be separated or consecrated from is, number one, sin. And in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, and I'm just doing a quick review. We're not going to take forever on this, but we're, we're going to talk about some things quickly. And we're going to talk about 2 Corinthians 7, 1, and I'll just read it. It says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. Everybody say, perfecting holiness. See, the, the, the fivefold ministry gifts, God has sent church, apostles, prophets, advanced pastors, teachers, to perfect. Everybody say, perfect. That means to equip. It even means to arrange, like a military arrangement. There's the generals, and then there's the soldiers. But it means to perfect in holiness. Part of my job of perfecting you is to perfect your holiness. In Romans, in Ephesians 4, 8, it says that every man's been given a gift or a grace, it says. And a charisma, it says in the Greek. And then it says that God has given gifts unto men. And my gift is to unlock your gift. That's literally what it means. My gift will unlock your gift. That's why I'm not just a gifted person. I am a gift to you. Every minister is a gift to you. My pastor is a gift to me. He's not a gifted person. He is a gift to you. Why is he a gift? Because he unlocks your gifting. And then you can know the hope of your call, as Paul prayed for in Ephesians 1. So as we begin to understand that, uh, we, we can see that we need to be separated from sin. We need to cleanse ourselves. Number two, we need to be separated from substances. Numbers 6, 1 through 3, the book of Numbers, some people say, well, can I be a Christian and drink? Well, yeah, you can be a Christian and drink. You can be a Christian and be stupid, too. Come on. But you can't be consecrated and drink. Because it says when you go to consecrate yourself and separate yourself, you may have no alcoholic beverages of any kind, it says in Numbers 6, 1 through 3. See, we're, we're framing the question all wrong. Can I be a Christian and drink? Well, of course you can. You can be a Christian and go jump off a cliff. But who cares? What I want to know is can I be consecrated? What does it take to be consecrated? What does it take to walk with God? And it says if you're going to be consecrated, you can't. Second, so we need to separate ourselves from substances. Substances, substance abuse in America is one of the most demonic things that's going on in America. Half of the problem with people, if they would eat right and think right, they wouldn't be sick. If you'll choose to think right, live right, and eat right, and forgive, and do a few of the Bible things, half the sicknesses in people's lives, I believe, would be gone. Amen. I knew that would just get you all roaring in the Holy Ghost there. Thank you for your enthusiasm. But anyway, 2 Corinthians. Another thing, we need to be separate from the world. 
He says, come out from among them, be separate, and I'll be your God and you'll be my people. We need to be sanctifying, consecrated away from spiritual forces. And that primarily is giving no place to the devil. Sanctify yourself away from giving place. We give place to the devil in our mind. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might that he might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles is, means deceptions, trickeries, lies, and all these things. Casting down imaginations. Bring every thought captive. That's how we sanctify ourselves. That's how we consecrate ourselves away from wicked spiritual forces. We need to be separated from false brethren. 2 Corinthians 5 says the fornicator who is sleeping with his dad's wife Paul said, man, the heathens don't even do that garbage. What's wrong with you guys? You're so full of yourselves and so proud. You haven't haven't disciplined this guy and thrown him out yet? What's wrong with you? Don't you know a little leaven will spoil the whole lump? And I'm saying, not only do you not fellowship, you don't even eat with the guy. You don't eat with extortioners, railers, and and fornicators and have nothing to do with them. Don't even talk to them. And Romans says, those who cause division, mark them and stay away from them. We had to sanctify and separate ourselves from troublemakers. Spiritual outlaws and wanderers that cause trouble in the church. I knew that we'd get a great big applause for that one too. False brethren, we need to stay on Wrong treasure, there's treasures of wickedness. We need to separate ourselves from the wrong ways of making money. The Bible says he who endeavors to make money quickly will not go unpunished. It says that there's treasures of wickedness. It says the blessing of the Lord that make the rich and he has no sorrow with it. It says by humility and fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. I can give you, I can sit here and quote scriptures about uh, finances all night long. But let me tell you this. There is an evil way to make money and there's a godly way to make money. And an unfair balance is an abomination to God. We separate ourselves from the wicked treasures and we join ourselves to God's economy of holiness and the blessing of the Lord making us rich. Because God wants you to be rich. Make no mistake, God wants you to be rich. But can you handle being rich? The Bible says the prosperity of a fool will destroy him. God doesn't want to destroy you. So he can't give some people prosperity because the prosperity would destroy them because they're foolish in the way they think. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, why aren't you giving me any money? Well, maybe you need to check the book of Proverbs and see if you're acting foolishly in some areas. Because if you do get prosperity, it'd destroy you. The prosperity of a fool will destroy them. They'll just sin on a bigger and grander scale. Instead of going to Des Moines, they'll go to Vegas. <laughs> they got more money. Come on. Just more expensive sin. More ex- in a, a more expensive sexual playground for their whoremongering or whatever they do. Somebody say amen. So we talked about all these ways that we separate ourselves unto God for the purposes of God so we might be used of God. It says purge yourself. And so we separate ourselves into And those are just a handful of things that the Bible tells you we need to separate ourselves from. Well, that's being not conformed, everybody. That's a way of not being conformed, to separating yourself from it. Can I get an amen? You're not hanging with that crowd that does that. You're not doing what that crowd does. You're separated from them. You're consecrated. You're sanctified. You're set aside. You're not being conformed to their ways of thinking. Be uh, not deceived. Bad company does corrupt good manners. And so we get sanctified. So that, that's the part that we've really already talked about. Now we're going to go on to being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that second part, when we talk about that, uh, see, we can't just be not conformed. So we, we're not conformed to the world. How many of you know there's still a void? We still need to be going someplace. 
It's, it's not just static. There's a dynamic to this life that if you're not for me, you're against me. If you're not gathering, you're scattering. If you're not being conformed to this world, then you need to be being transformed. Because if you're not being transformed, I guarantee you, you're being conformed. If you're not being transformed, you're being conformed to this world. If you're not being transformed by the word of God, you are slowly, unknowingly, insidiously, incrementally, slowly and very small uh, amounts and increments being conformed to this world. That's just the way it is. Transformation by the renewing of the mind is one of the most amazing things. We've always thought it was a spiritual thing. It's one of the most bio chemical, amazing phenomenons that there is. We, we think it's spiritual. Let me tell you something. It, it, is, it is such an amazing thing that, that the things that I, I, I read about, maybe six articles today on the neural pathways of our brain. We've always thought it was just changing your thoughts. No, you change, resculpt, reroute, the pathways in your brain when you renew your mind. What Paul the Apostle was talking about in the book of Romans, in the book of Ephesians, and in the book of Colossians, and maybe one or two other places, is the most amazingly scientific, biomedical phenomena and miracle that anybody could ever understand. Because it is not just changing your thoughts. It is literally re-sculpting your brain, your physical brain, the neural pathways of your brain, by changing your thinking. And say, so you know, it takes about 90 days to get unaddicted to pornography. Because pornography is probably one of the strongest addictions that there is. Sugar is one of the strongest addictions. And alcohol, and, and there's several other ones, and, and, and hard drugs. But let me tell you something. Strongholds of the mind are some of the most difficult things to change. The renewing of the mind again, is, is an amazing thing. Neural pathways, and, I, and, I, and Dr. Lonnie could probably tell us all about this, and I, I hope I don't get too much of it scientifically wrong, but the neural strands, there's many of them like roads in your brain. And these neural pathways are these little like, white-colored strands of, of neur- neurological material of some kind, and they go all over in your brain, and you, know, you get used to using certain things and doing things a certain way, and every time you do that, there's like these synapses that fire and, and the neural pathway. There's electricity or chemi- chemistry that goes through it or something. And you get used to doing it. You know, it's like the guy who's pitching. The more you do it, the more you get in the groove and the more you can do well. It's like walking a path. When I was out on the farm, my dad owns a farm and we always had a lot of cattle. And you'd see these cattle trails that were this deep into the ground. Anybody ever seen those? And that's because those old cows are used to walking the exact same path to go in when it's, when it's feed time at 5 o'clock every night when they'd go drink their water, eat their hay, and, and eat their corn. And, and they, they get it, you know, they could do it in their sleep. How many of you, I get up some mornings, and I'm standing in the shower, and I've done this the same way so many times forever, I can't remember if I just washed my hair. <laughs> Has anybody ever done that? And so you know what? I'm just going to wash it again just in case. I am flowing on my most worn through neural pathway. I am not traveling a road less traveled. I'm traveling on a neural pathway road that's very heavily traveled to the point I don't even need to use my brain anymore. 
I just went into autopilot and realized, oh my gosh, I did wash my hair because I set the shampoo over here. Because so, when I came in the shower, it was there, and now it's there. So I did shampoo my hair. You say, Pastor Bill, you're just getting old. That's your problem. But I'm going to tell you something. This is a powerful thing. And you wear paths in certain areas of your mind. And it's called neuroplasticity. It means that you can break out of the deep cow path and climb out of the path and go start making a new path that goes to the new feeding place. Can I get an amen? And because the old place is spoiled and you don't want to go there to eat anymore, so we need to start feeding on the Word of God, and we need to start wearing a new path that leads us, besides still waters, that leads us, the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. And we need to be following mental pathways and paths in our brain, and that's called the renewing of the mind. Now, the Apostle Paul probably didn't know about the chemistry. He probably didn't know. I, I don't think he probably knew the word neuroplasticity. But he knew one thing. The mind can be changed. And the more that you get over in this new neural pathway, then you live in this right way of thinking, in this transformed, renewed mind way of thinking, and you abandon every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. When we can start forcing ourselves to so as a man thinks, so is he. When we can start thinking right, it literally changes our brain chemistry. It literally changes the pathways in our mind. It literally changes the neural structure and, and little roads, little like a map. And, you know, it's just like, you know, I always notice in the wintertime, uh, the right lane, the snow is, and the ice is always worn off, and the passing lane always has more snow and ice on it. Anybody ever notice that? That's because there's a lot more traffic on that one. But the other one where there's not as much traffic, you're, it's not as safe. But if you have a lot of traffic and you get more traffic on the other one, guess what? It'll start wearing a pathway, and the other side will start building up the snow and the ice on the other one. It takes about 90 days to get one pathway worn and the other one to get so you don't slip over in it. I remember we used to go down the hill and ride sleds, and I can remember that we would have some paths worn. And, and one time I was going, I don't want to get in that path because it's all icy, and you start going really fast and get out of control. But I kept sliding towards that path, and I couldn't control the... I was on one of those round, what are those things called? Saucers. And I can remember, oh, no, I'm going towards the path. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to end up in the rut. Sure enough, boom, I hit the rut, and I went flying up into the air, and the, and the flying saucer became a flying saucer. <laughs> went out of control. I, I was doing cartwheels accidentally. And uh, it was not a good thing to end up in the old rut, in the old road. I was trying to cut a new path, but you know, the tendency was we go down the path of least resistance. And I found myself sliding back over into that path. Mentally, we go down the path of least resistance. Morally, we go down the path of least resistance. Spiritually, we want to go down the path of least resistance. But we need to cut a new path. Can I get an amen? We need to be transformed and literally, a neuroplastologically, we get transformed in our neurology. I made that word up, by the way, so I'm just trying to sound real smart or something. I don't know. Let's go over to Ephesians 4.22, and, and Paul talks about this. Ephesians 
Because the principle is, and let's say it with me, be not conformed. That's the not, you don't do, that's the negative. Be not conformed, or I say be not conformed. And that's the negative side. In other words, don't get in that old, be not conformed to that path sliding down that hill and going down into that rut. But don't get conformed into that rut. But be transformed, everybody say, but be transformed by the renewing your mind. And that's, and that's where we come over and we cut a new path. And we force ourselves to start thinking right, acting right, and speaking right. Because those are the three things that changes everything in our lives. Ephesians, I'm turning there. Give me just a moment. Ephesians 4, it's amazing how Paul talks about this. Verse 22, it says that you put off. Now, that's, to not, that's the be not conformed part. Like, if I put this coat on and it was a little too small, I would kind of have to conform to the small coat, right? Like a girdle. I'm, I'm not going to say anything, ladies, but, but a girdle makes you get conformed. Be not conformed. Put off. So that's the opposite of being conformed to, right? Be not conformed. Put off. I like this. Put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to his deceitful lusts. That's your old chemistry. That's your own the old pathways. That's your own paths of least resistance that you fall into. Can I get an amen? amen? And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's that word renewed again. There's that word mind again, just like over there in Romans. And that you put on. Now, here's the part where it's being transformed. Put on the new man, the new path, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now for every put away and not be conformed or put away, then there is a be transformed in the list that we're going to read right now. Follow the list and you will see the principle of not being conformed and being transformed. He doesn't just give you don't be Conformed, don't be conformed, don't be conformed, don't be conformed to all these sinful things. But immediately after he says, don't be doing this or don't be conformed to the world, and all these things are expressions of being conformed to the world. When he he goes through and he says, don't do this or don't be conformed to the world in this, don't do this, which is just another way of being conformed to the world. But immediately, just like in Romans 12, 1, he goes straight from be not conformed, but be transformed. Now watch this. Read it with me. And put on the new man, which is after God created in righteousness only. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. So be not conformed to lying, but be transformed to speaking truth to your neighbor. Can I get an amen? Now watch this pattern. It goes throughout the whole text. Put on the new man, which is created after God, righteousness and holiness. Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and sin not. Let the sun not go down on your wrath. In other words, don't don't get angry and sin. Don't be doing that. I need to give place to the devil. In other words, there's, there's a thing that we need to not allow in our life. Then he goes on, he says this, and neither give place to the devil. So that's an offensive. And then let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that he may give to him that needeth. In other words, he goes from, don't be conformed to stealing, but be transformed in your mind to the way that you think that I work so that I might give to somebody. 
See the Romans 12, 1 through 3 principle? Because now they're doing that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And you go on and you can see that through the whole thing. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouths. Don't be conformed to the world that way. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearer. So be transformed into being a grace speaker. And we can go on and we can see that there is a pattern there. And the chapter of decreasing traffic on the neural pathways and more trafficking on the biblical pathways. We need to decrease our trafficking in those wrong pathways and start increase our trafficking on the good pathways. And be not conformed is in every one of those statements, so to speak. I'm trying to speed this up. James says the same thing. Turn with me to James 1.21, and you see a pattern that's very similar in what James says. It's, it's kind of like this, folks. You, you, you can't just not be not good. You can't just try to quit being bad because that doesn't work. It says, be led by the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. A positive will automatically take care of the negatives. Can I get an amen? Amen. So you can't just not be conformed. you got to be transformed. You can't just be good by, quit. I'm going to quit sinning, and that's what's going to make me good. No, that is not what makes you good. That's not what makes you acceptable. That not, that's not what makes the perfect will of God for your life. It's not conforming and then being transformed. If you leave the transformed part, it's kind of like people say, well, God, only, God forgives. No, see, even if we got forgiven... And didn't get born again. How many of you know if, we, if God just forgave us on the cross and we didn't get born again, we'd still be in the same mess because we'd sin tomorrow again. See, we have to be born again because we have to have a change. We have to have a transformation on the inside so that we're new creations. This is similar to that. So James says this, and we are running out of time. But James talks about put away all naughtiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. And be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. So he starts out by saying not to do, or not be conformed. Here's another expression of not be conformed. It says, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Well, those are some obscure sounding words, superfluity of naughtiness. Those are some old King James words. It's just talking about living unclean. Lay apart. Get it apart. Get it away from you. Get sanctified, separated from it. Be not conformed to it. Get away from that. But then he goes over to the positive, the transformational side. The non-conforming side, then transformational side is... And receive with meekness the engrafted word. So then you receive with meekness the engrafted word. And then transformation happens if you become a doer. Because you know what? Renewing your mind is not just about you getting information. You cannot renew your mind without doing the word. Let me prove it to you. And be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Can you have a renewed mind and a deceived mind at the same time? 
Let me ask you that question again. Can you have a renewed mind and a deceived mind at the same time? Because James says, and be ye a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. See, we think we renew our mind just by hearing and, and knowing the word. You don't know the word until you do it. That's how you know the doctrine is true, Jesus said in John 7. We have got to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And see, because if we're doing, it says this. If we're just hearing, it says we deceive our own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way. And straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, and being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So one of the ways that we renew our mind to be transformed. You can't just read your Bible and be transformed. There's all kinds. Of, you know, they'll heap up te- te- teachers and they'll heap up tapes. And, and I know people that listen to, to brother so-and-so and brother so-and-so. And they listen for hours and hours and hours. And they wouldn't work one second in the nursery. They wouldn't help with, with uh, one thing about maybe a ladies' group event. Uh, they aren't going to help clean the church. They're not going to be a doer of the word. They're not going to go share the gospel with their neighbor. They're, not, they're only going to know a lot of word. But you know what? You will never be transformed. You'll only become more deceived. You only get more deceived. And the deeper that you make that juxtaposition between knowing the word and not doing it, which is an even greater act of rebellion and disobedience, the more you know and you won't do it, the more it says in the parable of the sower, it'll be taken away from you. To him who has more will be given, but him who acts upon it, him who does have or does the word more will be given. He doesn't, it'll be taken. So transformation comes from not only reading the word, but acting on it. Amen. Like a football. I can, get a, I can get a book that tells me the fundamental techniques of throwing a football. I can read that book a thousand times. But my throwing skills will never be transformed. My throwing skills will never be transformed. I can read that book frontwards. I can read it backwards. I can memorize it. I can quote it. I can think on it all day long. But until I begin to act upon it, my throwing skills will never be transformed. Can I get an amen tonight? Without doing it, you can never be changed. Throwing a football is important. 2 Kings 2, 1 through 15. Elijah, the sons of the prophet. Here's Elijah. He's got a servant named Elisha. Elisha had 12, 12 yoke of oxen. Elijah, the prophet, calls him, throws a mantle on him. He says, okay, I'm leaving all for the gospel. He goes and he butchers all the cattle, sacrifices them. He burns all the yokes. He burns all his bridges behind him. He doesn't look back from the gospel. Jesus talks about, if you take your hands and plow and not look back. He was referring to Elisha, by the way. Completely consecrates himself. It says that he washed the prophet's hands. Commentaries tell us he served Elijah as his personal servant for 25 years. He walked beside him. He ministered to him by washing his hands. He probably carried his mantle from time to time. He probably did all kinds of different things. Uh, And then one day when the old prophet was... The prophet, he, he would teach on a circuit, three different schools. Bethel... Jordan and one other place, I can't remember now. But he would go to those schools and all the young prophets who were full of head knowledge 
going to school. Probably know-it-all says, hey. And her dad must have been prophesied. Her son's a prophet, and they were in the school. And Elisha's dad probably wasn't a prophet because he was farming. And they're saying, hey, little servant boy, us sons of the prophets who have our prophet school degrees who are prophets, want to give you a prophecy. Your master's going to be taken up. And we're all just wondering which one of us is going to take his place. And he goes to each school, and every time he walks away from the school and does not choose a successor. Then he turns to Elisha and says, what do you want from me? It's like they both must have known. He says, give me a double portion. He says, that'll be hard, but it'll be done. He says, when I go up from the chariot, you're going to get the double portion. You see, here it is. He separated himself. He left the farm, burned his bridges behind him, burned his yoke, took the cattle, slaughtered them, came along, became the servant, became the doer of the word, not just a hearer like the boys at the prophet school. They were hearers of the word, but I don't know if they were doing it. But I'll guarantee you Elisha was doing it as his servant, serving Elijah. And through his doing, he gets chosen because he's transformed he gets chosen, he gets a double anointing, and he comes back transformed because he was a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. The prophet school is full of hearers, but here we have this guy who's a doer and who got transformed into having the double anointing. And Elisha does exactly twice as many miracles as Elijah recorded in the Bible. An amazing thing. So he was a doer. Let me tell you something. There'll never be transformation in your life until you do. We talk about consecration, separate, that's a separation. Then we talk about transformation. That's becoming able to do things that you were never able to do. Let me finish by saying this. Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. There's transformation in that verse. This book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do. Everybody say, observe to do. That thou mayest observe to do. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. So it starts with talking. You know, when you read the Bible... You're really talking to yourself when you read it. How many of you know every time you read the Bible, you talk to yourself in your mind? But this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth or talking to yourself. Self-programming. Self-transformation. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate there in day and night that thou mayest observe to do, that thou mayest observe to do, that thou mayest observe to be a doer of the word. Then thou shalt make thy ways prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Well, the implication is that you weren't prosperous before and you didn't have good sex, success before that. So you'll make your ways prosperous and you'll have good. How many know that's called transformation? That is transformation. That is transformation. We want transformation that we might be able to prove the good and acceptable and perfect of God. Many people in their present status cannot prove the good and acceptable and perfect will in their life because they're not transformed enough yet. And that might sound harsh. That might sound almost elitist or something. I don't know what it sounds like to you, but I know what the Bible says. It says that we have to be transformed, that we may prove. We cannot stay in our former state and prove the good and acceptable perfect will of God. We have to have a transformation. Without that transformation, we can never do God's will. Praying in tongues is transformation. I read six articles tonight on the effect of tongues. I can read article after article after article that says, you know, Paul says, if I speak in untongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, what does that mean? It means that God is speaking to you because he who speaks in untongue, you know, it says, speaks not unto men, but unto God, for no man understands how be in the spirit. He speaks mysteries. 
And it says, my spirit by the Holy Spirit prays in one translation. So you know what they did? They, they hooked up these little things in the brain and they followed the brain waves and the frontal lobes, which are most of your cognizant skills from what I understand. Dr. Lyon, correct me if I'm wrong on this. And when they began to speak in tongues, all their cognitive skills shut down while they were speaking in tongues. If I pray on a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Well, they proved that scientifically with the brain chemistry and the brain activity that when you pray in tongues, something else kicks in and starts praying and your mind shuts down and your spirit... It says, if I pray on a tongue, my spirit prayeth. If I speak in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. Well, that sounds like... We're so familiar with that, we don't even think about it. But they proved that in a scientific laboratory that the part of the brain that's cognitive... Paul says, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. But my understanding is unfruitful. My understanding part of my brain isn't working anymore because the Holy Spirit just kicked in and took over and he's praying through me now. Not with my understanding. And they said that it increased their immune system. And 1 Corinthians 14, 4 says, if I pray in an unknown tongue, he who's praying in an unknown tongue edifies or builds himself up. And they say there's no word for edified, but they say the closest thing the Greek scholars can say that that word edify means is to be charged up like a battery. Your immune system gets charged up like a battery. And they said that your, the immune systems would increase and all kinds of benefits when you speak in tongues. Let me tell you something. Part of having transformation is praying in tongues. So let me give you three things. You've got to be not conformational, but be transformed by, number one, the reading of the word. The speaking of the word and the doing of the word. Let's stand up and be dismissed tonight. Many times we think that being transformed is only head knowledge that we can be transformed. We cannot be transformed until we're speaking and doing the word. And then we may be able to do that good and acceptable and perfect will of God.